Please, congregation, turn with me in the first place to Article 37 of the Belgic Confession. Article 37 of the Belgic Confession, page 198 in the Forms and Prayers books, page 870 in the back of the Psalter hymnals. As we come to this last article of our confession, we're actually going to work our way through the three chapters of Zephaniah, which correlate quite well with the truths of this last article of our confession. So after we're going to read just the first paragraph of article 37, before we turn our attention in the second place to the word of the Lord in Zephaniah chapters 1 and 2. Article 37, the first paragraph, finally, we believe according to God's word that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. This the Church of Christ does confess and believe throughout the world. Let's turn also now to Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1, page 1001 in the Adoration Bibles, 1001. Read Zephaniah 1, beginning at verse 1, and read through verse 3 of chapter 3 of chapter 2. Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy word. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Gadaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials of the, and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar. For all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their gods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. 
A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind, so that they shall walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed, for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. And perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, before we dive into these opening words from Zephaniah, we do well to remind ourselves just briefly about the context in which this prophecy was written. The prophet Zephaniah, we learn, began to minister in Judah during the reign of King Josiah. And it would seem most likely to be the case that Zephaniah began his prophetic ministry near the beginning of Josiah's reign, perhaps before Josiah's reformation had taken place. And so Zephaniah, we discover in chapter 1, verse 12, was ministering in Judah at a time when religious complacency had taken root in the hearts and lives of the people of God. The people of God, we learn, were no longer taking God seriously. They were saying things like, the Lord will do neither good nor ill. Though they heard the numerous words of warning from the prior prophets, the spirit of of 2 Peter 3 verse 4 was, was characteristic also of them. They too scoffed at the prophetic message. Perhaps they too said things like, where is the promise of the Lord's coming? Ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are are continuing on as they always have. And religious syncretism had filled the land as as God's people thought they could have it both ways. As Zephaniah puts it in verses 4 and 5, they thought they they could worship the Lord on the one hand and serve Baal on the other. They thought they could worship the Lord on the one hand and yet bow down to the stars of heaven on the other. They thought they could swear by the Lord on the one hand and and perhaps swear by Milcom on the other. They thought they could trust in the Lord for some things and then trust in their gold and silver for other things. And so we learn in verse 7 that Zephaniah was prophesying to a nation that had turned back from following the Lord. He was prophesying to a nation that on the whole was no longer seeking the Lord or inquiring of him. And so you'll notice as we work our way through these three chapters of Zephaniah in the coming weeks that as God speaks with a strong word of warning, he's not only going to speak to the surrounding nations around Judah, but he is going to speak to Judah herself. And to both Judah and the surrounding pagan nations that surround Judah, Zephaniah says, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. 
And this, you could say, is really the theme of the primary message that, that ties everything in Zephaniah's prophecy together. The day of the Lord is coming. That phrase, the day of the Lord, may not be so familiar to all of you, but the, that phrase, the, the day of the Lord, is a biblical phrase that occurs not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New. It occurs especially in the Old Testament prophets, but it's also employed in the New Testament to denote the day of the Lord's coming. It's a phrase that speaks rather directly to the truth of Article 37 of our confession, that, that an ultimate day is coming, and coming soon, when the Lord Jesus shall return upon the clouds to, to judge the living and the dead. As Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 5, concerning the times and the seasons, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so this phrase, the day of the Lord, is a phrase that's meant to evoke something within us, namely a profound sense of awe and urgency as, as we take to heart the reality that, that our God is a holy God and he does not take sin lightly. As we heard this morning from Colossians 3, we need to take our sins seriously because God takes our sins seriously. God does not and cannot merely turn a blind eye to sin and rebellion. And the day of the Lord is a testimony to that reality. Now for those who have humbled themselves before God, the day of the Lord ought to evoke within them not only a sense of awe and wonder, but also a sense of comfort and joy. Because the day of the Lord for us is that day which, which marks the end of all our sin and suffering. For the believer, the day of the Lord is something to look forward to with eager longing and expectation. But for those who yet do not believe, for those who have not entrusted their lives to Christ, for those who remain proud of heart, the day of the Lord ought to evoke within them a sense of holy fear and urgency. It ought to evoke within them a sense of holy fear because the day of the Lord presses the point home that God is not mocked. As our confession will go on to say in Article 37, the day of, on the day of the Lord all people will give an account of all the idle words they have spoken. And the secrecies and hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. As Zephaniah describes this day in verses 15 and 16, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry. And so the day of the Lord ought to evoke within the unbeliever a sense of, of holy fear. But not only holy fear, but also a sense of, of great urgency because verse 14 tells us that this great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it is, and it is hastening fast. Of course, no one but the Father knows when exactly this day shall be. But Jesus has said that he is coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon, he says in Revelation 22, verse 12, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. The day of the Lord, you see, marks the end of all things. On that great and awesome day, says our confession, the Lord Jesus will come down from heaven bodily and visibly with great glory and majesty to declare himself judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. 
And this congregation is really what we see prophesied here in Zephaniah chapter 1. The opening chapter of his prophecy, Zephaniah foretells a day of cosmic cleansing wherein the Lord is going to sweep away everything from the face of the earth. A day wherein in the fire of his jealousy the earth shall be consumed. Zephaniah will seek and be broken into three major sections. The first section, here in this first section we're told that the day of the Lord is going to be a day of, of cosmic cleansing. As 2 Peter 3 verse 10 says, when the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night, the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. In the second section of Zephaniah's prophecy, we're going to see the manner in which God is going to judge the nations. He's going to judge them for every idle word they've ever spoken. He says in chapter 2 that he has heard the taunts of Moab. He's He's heard the revilings of the Ammonites, and they're going to give an answer for all those taunts and revilings that they directed against the church of Christ. And then in the third section of Zephaniah, we're going to see more poignantly how God's elect have nothing to fear. On that day, it shall be said to the people of God, rejoice and exalt with all your heart and fear not, for the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. This afternoon, we consider the first section of Zephaniah's prophecy and how the day of the Lord is going to bring about a cosmic cleansing. And as we work our way through this passage, I'd like for us to consider three things together. In the first place, we'll note the divine announcement. And then the second place, the divine description. And then finally, the divine summons. But as we come to the opening words of Zephaniah's prophecy in verses 2 through 6... We notice in the first place this announcement concerning this great and awesome day of the Lord is is made by none other than the Lord himself. Now if you've studied Zephaniah, then perhaps you've noticed that in some sense Zephaniah is not really saying anything new. Zephaniah echoes passages from other prophets and his prophecy here is in some ways a a summary of everything that's been said by the pre-exilic prophets who have preceded him. Zephaniah, you see, is the, is the last of the pre-exilic prophets ministering in Judah right before the Babylonian exile. And so as we come to these opening words, which are rather harsh words, we do so recognizing that these words are, are coming on the heels of many years of the Lord's being exceedingly patient with Judah. For years, God has has been calling out to them to repent of their sins and to turn from their wicked ways. But Judah has refused to listen. As God said in the days of Isaiah, as we heard in our morning call to worship, he would say to them, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. He urged the wicked to forsake their wicked ways and to return to him in repentance and faith. At the time of Zephaniah, they've refused to listen. And so the sense that we get from Zephaniah's prophecy is that God's patience is running out. A day of judgment is coming. For Judah, the more immediate day of judgment is going to be their captivity into Babylon. Judah is going to be carried off by King Nebuchadnezzar. The the temple is going to be destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are going to be toppled over. And Judah is is going to become this laughingstock among the nations. But as Reformed Christians, we understand that Judah's captivity into Babylon and that Judah's being removed from the land of promise 
was but a foreshadowing or a picture of the great and final day of judgment when Christ will judge the world once and for all. This is the way in which we understand all of God's divine visitations of judgment in the Old Testament. God's judgment, for example, against Egypt and his salvation of of Israel at the Red Sea was a picture or an anticipation of the greater day of judgment that was to come. After appealing to Pharaoh again and again to, to soften his heart, to let his people go, God's patience finally ran out and he swallowed up Pharaoh and all his armies in the waters of the Red Sea. And now God's patience with Judah is about to expire. For Judah also has, has gone the way of Pharaoh. Judah has, has hardened her heart against the Lord and she has tested God's patience long enough. Before his patience does finally expire, God graciously warns them one last time. He, he sends in the prophet Zephaniah and he tells them about what's to come. In verses 2 and 3, he announces the destruction that's going to bring about almost the undoing of the cosmos. And then in verses 4 and 6, he announces the judgment that's going to come against Judah herself. In the first place, he says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. From the very outset of his announcement, the Lord sets before us the, the solemnity of the hour. The language is, is reminiscent of what God said in the days of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. At that time when God saw that wickedness had covered the face of the earth, it grieved him to the heart. And so much so that God said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And that God did in the waters of the flood, saving only believing Noah and his family. That day also was a picture, an anticipation of the last day. And so we have here in verses 2 and 3 is really a, a total reversal of the creation of the world. The the order in which these items dedicated to destruction appear is in precisely the opposite order in which they appear in the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, God created the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and then the beasts of the field and then he created mankind. But now God says everything is going to be undone in his just judgment. For although God had promised Noah... In Genesis 8, that he would never again flood the earth to destroy all flesh from the face of the ground. That promise, you may recall, was, oh, would only remain in effect as long as the earth remains. But Zephaniah now speaks to the days of the earth finally coming to a climactic end with this great and awesome day of the Lord where God is going to utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. Notice how in verses 4 to 7, the Lord now zeroes in on Judah herself. For here we see that the wrath of God is not only going to consume the cosmos more generally, but it's also going to consume a wayward people more particularly. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests, along with the priests, those who bow down on the roof to the host or to the stars of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, 
those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. And here too we see a a reversal of sorts, don't we? Because the very same hand that at one time had been outstretched to save them from Egypt is now going to be stretched out against them in judgment. Judah, you see, knew that they above everyone else were favored by the Lord. But in the course of time, that reality, which ought to have humbled them, ended up puffing them up in pride and arrogance. So that they began to think that because they were the people of the Lord, they were exempt from God's righteous indignation. That they could sin without a care in the world. They became complacent. They thought they could have it both ways. They thought they could go to the Lord for some things and go to the false gods of the world for other things. But now the Lord announces that a day is coming and coming soon when the names of these gods will be cut off from the face of the earth, when Baal and Milcom will be forgotten and remembered no more. A day is coming when all those who worshipped God falsely and did not seek Him rightly will stand condemned in the courtroom of His divine justice. And because this is so, because this day is coming, what does Zephaniah say in verse 7? He says, Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. Verses 7 and following, the prophet gives us a divine description, further detailing what this day will be like. It's a day that summons us to silence. But when Zephaniah says, be silent before the Lord, he's not speaking of a, of a silence of indifference, but rather a silence of, of awe and wonder. He is talking about that kind of silence that that comes upon you when you're looking at something majestic or glorious, perhaps something like looking into the heart of the Grand Canyon or looking at the, at the face of the Niagara Falls. He's, he's talking about that kind of, of silence that comes upon you when you see something like two airplanes flying into a building, that kind of silence where not a word can, can come from your mouth because it's so overwhelming. That's the kind of silence that Zephaniah says ought to come upon us when we think, when we meditate upon the day of the Lord. And when Zephaniah says, be silent before the Lord in verse 7, he's not just speaking to a select few, but he's speaking to everyone. That's what we see in verses 8 to 13. In verse 8, he addresses the royal officials and the king's sons and those who wear foreign attire from the highest echelons of society, God was no longer being worshipped aright, and so now God speaks to the society at large. The reference to those who wear foreign attire would seem to be a reference to those who have begun to worship false gods. They've so rejected the one true God that they now wear their rebellion on their sleeves. In the first part of verse 9, he mentions those who leap over the thresholds, which is likely a, a reference to the superstitious practice of the Philistines who who had this practice of, of leaping over the threshold before going into their temple, lest they would uh, displease their god, the god Dagon, as, as Samuel notes in 1 Samuel 5, verse 5. And the irony of this is set forth in the second part of verse 9, because although these priests in Judah were observing a pagan superstition, so as not to provoke a false god, 
They had no problem provoking the one true God, filling the house of the Lord, the house of their master, with violence and fraud. Verses 10 and 11, Zephaniah transitions from classes of people to various sectors of the city. And he says that cries and wails are going to be heard throughout Jerusalem. In verse 12, Zephaniah assures his readers that none shall escape this scrutinizing eye of the Lord. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. God is going to search the city out, and he's going to find them all. Their gods shall be plundered, and their houses shall be laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. In summary, Zephaniah is saying everything that they've accomplished, everything that they've lived for is going to be taken away in God's just judgment. And no one, regardless of status or position or rank, is going to be exempt. For the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. God's not kidding around. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind that they shall walk and be like the blind. And why? Why is God going to do all this? Because they have sinned against the Lord. Because they've sinned against the Lord. Therefore their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on that day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make an end of all the inhabitants of the earth. The day of the Lord is real and imminent. It is hastening on. It's hastening fast. And when it comes, Zephaniah is saying, neither the works of your hands nor the wealth of your wallets will be able to give you a way of escape. We believe that when the time appointed by our Lord has come, the Lord Jesus will come from heaven bodily and visibly to declare himself judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. The judgment of God is coming. And it's coming for good reason. For those whom God made in his own image. Worship the creature rather than the creator. All mankind, like sheep, have gone astray. They've all rebelled against the Lord. They've resisted him at every turn. And this should cause the world to tremble. Because their rebellion and their resistance have not gone unnoticed. God has not and he will not turn a blind eye. The day of judgment is coming. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. And yet this message of divine judgment is not altogether without hope. Because verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2 shows that there is indeed a way out of this judgment. Namely, if a person will humble himself. If a person will humble himself before the Lord, says Zephaniah, then he can escape this great day of judgment. 
So here in verses 1 through 3, the Lord sets before us, he sets before all people everywhere a wonderful alternative when he says, gather together, yes, gather together, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect. He is warning them, before this happens, I'm warning you, before this decree takes effect, before the day comes upon you, the day of the anger of the Lord, before this happens, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just command, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Zephaniah assures us that although divine punishment awaits the proud, there is gospel hope for the humble. In contrast to those who will be judged for their pride and arrogance, the humble shall be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. In these verses, Zephaniah, of course, is speaking with, with a view to the cross of the Lord Jesus. Because it was there, we know, at the cross of Christ that, that the judgment should have fallen upon us, fell instead upon him. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, it was there at the cross that Christ was put forward as propitiation by his blood in order that God might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As we've heard from Colossians chapter 3, those who have come to Christ in humility and faith are now hidden with Christ and God. And so when they think about the coming day of the Lord, they have no reason for fear or to be afraid. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, they shall be changed on that day in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And so here in verses 1 to 3, the divine announcement concerning the great an awesome day of the Lord is followed up with a divine summons, an urgent summons to, to seek the Lord, to seek righteousness and humility in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the effect that this word concerning the day of the Lord ought to have on us. If, if any of us are here this afternoon living in, in spiritual slumber, God says you need to wake up. As Paul says in 1 in in Thessalonians 5, yes, Jesus comes like a thief in the night. But then he says, but you, brothers, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been living in spiritual slumber, God says it's time to wake up. Sometimes various letters and requests are, are sent to us as a counsel, and sometimes we don't want to act on them, and so we say, RFI, receive for information. We don't act on them. That's our temptation this afternoon, to hear this word concerning the, the day of the Lord and to simply receive it for information. But this word concerning the day of the Lord is a word that needs to be acted upon. It's thing that needs to be acted upon. If you're living in spiritual slumber, God says you need to wake up and be sober. If you're living for yourself as though God were not real, as though you're the Lord of your own life. God says, the day of my anger is drawing near. 
Seek me while I still may be found by you. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. But Zephaniah would have us to recognize that tomorrow might not be. Today is still a day of grace wherein God bids all sinners everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel. Today is a day of salvation. But tomorrow might not be. Christ might appear upon the clouds tonight. And all men everywhere will meet their maker. And so Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time he may exalt you. This is God's promise to those who will humble themselves before him at the proper time on that great and awesome day of judgment, that day of distress and ruin and devastation. God says, I'll exalt you. Yes, a day is coming when God is going to cleanse the world of everything that is evil and sinful once and for all. It will be a day of cosmic cleansing. No stain of sin will remain. Through those purifying fires that will consume the world. But to those who have confessed, who have loved and served the Lord below, he will say, come near ye blessed, see the kingdom I bestow. You forever shall my love and glory know. He who testifies to all these things says, surely I am coming soon. He's coming soon. And so we who believe ought to save, and so come. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you again at the close of this Lord's Day, at the close of Lord's Day worship, thankful that today is a day of grace, that today is yet a day in which you bid us and you bid all sinners everywhere to place their trust in the Lord Jesus so that their lives might be hidden in him on the day of judgment, of darkness and despair. Father, we thank you that you are indeed a shield about us, so that we who have humbled ourselves in repentance and faith need not fear that day, but may look forward to that day of Christ coming with eager longing and expectation as the day when our salvation will finally be made complete, when we shall see him in all his glory We shall be free without the stain of sin in the world. Father, we pray that the imminence of your great day of judgment would be pressed upon the hearts and lives of all people everywhere. That the imminence of the day of judgment would evoke within all people everywhere a sense of great urgency to repent today, not to wait till tomorrow, but to repent even now. We know, Lord, that you alone know the day of the Son of Man's return. But he has indeed assured us that he is coming soon. And Father, we pray that he would come soon, even as we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.